0: If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We're in the series that we've called Rooted. And uh, today is the 21st message through the book of Romans. 21 messages we have gone through or we're going to go through at the end of today. We have completed as of today, as of last Sunday, I'm sorry, eight chapters in the book of Romans. We are halfway there, you guys. You're at the top of the hill. And we're going to start coasting for the next eight chapters. And this is a really good thing, because if you've been tracking with us over the last eight chapters, you will see that there was some really hard stuff in the first number of chapters in the book of Romans. If you wanted to break it out, you would have seen in the first three chapters or three and a half chapters of Romans, Paul talked all about the wrath of God. He talked all about the wrath of God. And what does that mean? It means what happens to us as individuals because of the sinful condition that we live in. How God views sin. What happens to us because we're unable to be in God's presence without his intervention. He talked all about the sinfulness. And if you were just tracking for the first three chapters and then you shut us off because you said, I can't listen to it anymore. I get it. It's hard to be a dip short of the glory of God. No one can do good on their own. There is a, a depravity that mankind has because of sin where God at some point invites us to make a change. And if we continue to exchange the truth of God, that all of creation testifies with a lie, he gives us up to our own desires. And we talk about the wrath of God for the first three and a half chapters. Then we turn a corner and we talk about the grace of God, you know, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. Okay? That's, that's what grace really is. When you get what you don't deserve. And what do we get? We get an opportunity to be in relationship with the God of creation. Not because of our abilities, but because of his gifts towards us. And we talked from 3 all the way through uh, 7 about the grace of God. And then last week, we concluded four weeks in the chapter 8. Now, we used four weeks to, to break out chapter 8 because it is Kevin Oberholzer said last week, probably the most significant chapter uh, in all of the Bible in his opinion, And, and I'd say it's pretty high up there because the grace of God is given to us so that we can walk through the spirit that he gives us. We can't do this life and trust in him as Lord and Savior and expect to live a spiritual life that honors God, a righteous, holy life without the power of God in us, equipping us to do that. Does that make sense? We can't try to just try hard and make God um, or get closer to God because of the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit. We need his presence to strengthen us, encourage us, and equip us. So if we don't have the Spirit living in us, we cannot walk the way God has called us to walk. Week one, Andy talked about a new identity that we have by walking in the Spirit. We have a new identity. You have a new name. You have a new definition. You're not just the old man with, with a little pretty on it. You know, they say sometimes, like, like I've heard realtors say this idea, you know, when a, a house doesn't look so good and they just kind of dress it up a little bit, they say you put lipstick on a pig. You ever that, Hear that before? Someone know what I'm talking about? God didn't do that to us when we're saved. He doesn't put lipstick on a pig. He doesn't take something dirty and just put a clean cloth over it. We're a new identity. And he gives us the presence of spirit to live in us and to equip us to walk this out. Second week, Pastor Matt talked about the new family and how we are created and adopted into God's family. We are now sons and daughters through faith in the Most High God, of the Most High God. That is so important to understand the family that we are now connected to. That should give us a confidence to move forward. Pastor Rob talked about new hope, that as a result, we have a future hope. It doesn't just end in this world, but the spirit reminds us that we're not just created for this world. We're created forever. And I, reminded that, I was reminded of that this morning when I got up and every joint in my body went crick, crick, snap, snap, pop, pop. And I, and I felt like when I was, I was in, the, in the, the shower that God spoke to me and he said, he said, uh, your body is a rental. And I was really encouraged to hear that because I don't want this forever. You know what I'm saying? Like, it gets older. It gets more difficult anyway. There's a hope. There's a hope as we move forward that goes beyond this world. And I'm so excited to know that the Spirit reminds us of that. And last week, Kevin talked about a new confidence we have, that we can be confident of the fact that neither height nor depth or anything in all creation can do what? Separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from his love. And when we know we are loved... And God has never abandoned us. It gives us a courage and a boldness to walk out and do whatever he's called us to do. Like a missionary I heard many years ago who was down in Columbia working with drug, drug trafficking uh, to reach the people that were in the drug trafficking industry and there were death threats against his life over and over again, he said, until I've accomplished everything God has called me to do, I am invincible. And I thought that was a beautiful fr- com- com- excuse me a beautiful quote because he was making a declaration that God will never abandon me, and I can walk in confidence because I know he is always with me. It doesn't mean I'm always safe, but it means I'm always protected in his will. Amen? So those are what we talked about the last couple of weeks. Big summary. I'm going to condense this now because we are shifting gears right now, and we are looking at Romans chapter 9. Today's message is called God's Unconditional Choice. God's Unconditional Choice. Now, I'm not sure if this was just coincidence. It probably wasn't because I put the sermon plan together. But Romans 9 is one of the most controversial, one of the most debated chapters in the entire Bible because it centers around the subject of God's unlimited, unrestricted, unconditional ability to choose. Now, you might say, choose what? Choose a person, choose a nation, choose a purpose, choose a plan. And the answer to all of those things are yes. God's unconditional choice, as like the theologians like to use the word sovereign, God's sovereign choice, his unconditional choice. We are going to spend some time this morning and we are going to look at what that means. Now, at the end of chapter eight, Paul gives us a hint of that in verse 29, when he said this, look, he says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And there's a lot of words in there like foreknew and predestined and called and justified. And what is he saying there? It's giving us a a line that basically begins with the fact that God makes the decision and God knows what's going to happen. And this is a difficult thing for us to understand. They call this in theologians or in theological circles, the doctrine of election. What is the doctrine of election? Who is able to be saved? How does God make these decisions? What is God's role and what is our role in the process? And we're not going to answer all of those questions in the window of time that we have. In fact, I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning. There's going to be some parts of this chapter as we read it that you struggle with understanding. And can I tell you, that's okay. That's okay. But you may also... (laughs) You might not also like some of the picture it paints for us about who God is. But please know this. Neither of those things make what we learn about God less true. We may struggle with it. We may struggle with understanding. I'm okay with not understanding everything. Why? Because if I can understand an infinite creator, then there's a problem. The creation can never fully understand the creator. So we're going to learn more about who God is in this. But please hear me, even though we, get, um, we misunderstand some things or we may not understand, Rather than get caught up in this theological debate, this tension that it creates a debate around the passage, we're going to focus on seeing a more clear picture of who God is this morning and who he really is by looking at what God's unconditional choice is and looking at what God's unconditional choice is not. We're just looking at two brief things this morning. What God's unconditional choice is and what it is not because, and here's a big because, because seeing who he is impacts how we live as Christians. When we see who God is, it will change. When we understand it, it will change how we live as followers of Christ. So we're going to get started and we're going to read through the first 18 chapters this morning. I'm sorry, 18 verses this morning. (laughs) Good Lord. There's not even 18 chapters in Romans. First, the high school is an hour down the road when it's only a mile, and now we're reading 18 chapters when there's only 16 chapters in the whole book. Um, 18 verses this week, and then next week we're going to cover the rest of it. Okay, so let's begin reading. Um, First, let's get started with this first truth about who God is not. God's unconditional choice is not dependent on our privileges. I want you to just think about this for a moment as we get ready to read. God's unconditional choice, his sovereign choice, his ability to choose, is not dependent on our privileges. And I'm going to explain that as we begin to read, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Amen. Stop there just for a moment, and let's just talk about this briefly, what's going on. Paul is giving an introduction to Romans 9, and some people would call it like a spiritual, it's a doxology where he's giving glory and honor to God and declaring who God is. But he's saying something, and he takes no pleasure in what he's getting ready to say. But it's really interesting to see how he brings this to the table. You see, he's speaking to Roman Christians, to Gentiles that are Christians, but he's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters. He's talking about the nation of Israel. And if you know anything about the history of Paul, you know that by all accounts, those that he would have been closest to growing up himself as a Jew and a Pharisee would consider Paul in that day to be a traitor. Because he was passionately against the way, which was followers of Jesus. And he turned when he had an encounter with Jesus. And instead of promoting the destruction of Christianity, he began producing and nurturing it and seeing it further. Because God got a hold of his heart and Jesus transformed him. So from his brothers and his sisters who were Israel... He would be considered a traitor, and his writings would be considered just as if this day and age, if we had someone that was in the United States Army, changed sides in the middle of the war. Paul would have that type of feeling from his brothers and his sisters of Israel. So he's writing this, okay, and he's writing this from a perspective not of condemnation, not of finger pointing. He starts it off by letting them know how his heart aches for what he's about to share. And I'm sharing that with you this morning because there's two different ways for us to present truth in this world. Jesus came in fullness of truth and fullness of grace, right? And it's easy for us to say, well, we're always stronger in one or the other. We're either truth people or we're grace people. It's usually one or the other. It doesn't mean we don't have the other piece in us, but we usually lead with a foot forward in one or two. Paul is leading with a foot of grace and humility here. Because he's saying, I'm going to share this with you. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And then he said in verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. What is he saying? I would sooner be condemned to an eternity in hell. If it means my people of Israel, my brothers and my sisters of Israel, would hear the truth of Christ and they would be saved. Think about what he's doing. You hear like the significance and the weight about what we're getting ready to hear? He loves them so much that in humility, he's bringing this to them. And this is why this is so important, because what he's getting ready to say is really difficult stuff. But it's very significant. So Paul's grieving over Israel. Israel was waiting for God's Messiah. They followed all the plans. They were given the law. He gave a list of all the different things. The qualified Israel. They came from Abraham, right? He talks about this um, in verse, verse uh, uh, 5, 4 and 5. They had the covenant, the law of God. They had the temple. They had the promises of God. All of the patriarchs came from God's chosen person as Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. They have all of the history and the heritage to make them the best race, to make them the most valued of all other races and people. And honestly, if you talk to people during that time, you would see that they believed that. Israel thought that they were better than everybody else. There was Israel, God's chosen people, and then there were the dogs of the world. And that's what they called non-Jewish people, dogs. They were dogs. I mean, that doesn't feel encouraging, does it? Right? I mean, do you know anybody that feels that much more elevated than you? Where, I mean, who would want to spend time with someone like that? I come over to my house. You know, look how great my heritage is. My family tree is just blossomed with all of these different people historically. I'm sorry I'm better than you, but I am. In their belief, they didn't even think God was going to come and bring a Messiah for the non-Jewish people. They thought they were that much greater than everyone else, and yet Paul is getting ready to address this because the message he needs them to hear, and I believe it applies to us today, is that God's unconditional choice is not dependent on our privileges. It's not dependent on our privileges. Let's read on in verse 6. It is not as though God's word has failed. What is he talking about? They've been waiting for a Messiah that still hasn't come to pass. Has God forgotten about us? He says, It's not as though God's word has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So this is really important for us to understand the character of God. Because God's unconditional choice is not based on this heritage or this background or this family tree. Like Israel, he is not concerned with our bloodline. He chooses whom he chooses. And this is why this is so important. Because today, most of the people sitting in this room today are not of Jewish descent. And yet many of you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Because Paul is telling us that the heart of God The God who has an unconditional choice doesn't look at where you came from to determine where you're going. He doesn't do that. He doesn't elevate some races over others. He doesn't say some are better than others. He doesn't look at the differences and say, well, I can use these people, but I can't use these people. No, God's sovereign choice, his unconditional choice does not care about all of the privileges that we have. If we look back in the Old Testament, and we're not going to go there, but I have a a verse for you. There's a story of a woman named Ruth, and and Ruth was married to a Jewish man, and he died. And Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, was going back to her land. And Ruth was not Jewish, but Naomi was. And when the husband died, or the son died at that point, she was released to go back to her homeland. And Ruth refused to go back. She said this in verse 16 of chapter 1 in Ruth. Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. She's speaking to her mother-in-law. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. This is not someone that grew up in Jewish descent. This is someone who saw the God of Abraham and said, I want to be in relationship with him and I'm going to worship him. And God takes that person and draws them to himself. You with me? See how beautiful that is? He doesn't just look at the bloodline and say, well, your family heritage says you're qualified. No, he's looking for those who are looking for him. So what's the application through that? Think about this for where you are because we don't live in first century Judaism. Our heritage does not make us acceptable to God. Your heritage does not make you or make me acceptable to God. You can come from any place, from any background, with any experience and know that God is not qualifying or disqualifying you because of your race or your background. He doesn't do that. He looks for those and invites those and all who choose to come to him, he welcomes into his family, just like he did in the past. He will continue to do in the future. This is something that's important for us today, because you may have grown up in the church, you may have had parents who are Christians or grandparents that are Christians or great-grandparents who are Christians. On my, on my uh, cousins, on my one side of my family, my, mom married, uh, my mom's sister married a man who was the 14th generational descendant directly of Martin Luther. Can I tell you, 14 generations later, it doesn't matter that they came from the man who started the Protestant Reformation. If they haven't given their hearts to Christ, God does not accept them. He's not impressed that there are 14, 15 generations that came from a holy man. He looks at us individually, and he draws us regardless of our preferences, regardless of our heritage. That is a message that we can learn from this chapter, that God is looking for us, and he makes us acceptable, not because of our heritage, but because he can choose because he's God. The second thing I want you to hear this morning about God's unconditional choice is that God's unconditional choice is dependent on his promises. Where it's not dependent on our privileges, it's not dependent on our privileges. It is dependent on our promises. Okay? On his promises, I'm sorry. Verse, verse uh, 8, Paul says, In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Verse 10, not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Remember when I said there's going to be some things in this passage that might make you take a step back about what you understand about God? Hold that thought. Don't get tripped up on the wording in verse 13. It doesn't mean what you think it means. It's not hate from the understanding that we define hate. I like you and I don't like you. You're nice, but I don't like you. It doesn't work that way. No, God's talking about first, not individuals. He's talking about the nation of Israel and the nation of Edom the people of Israel and the people of Edom. Jacob was the father of Israel and Esau was the father of Edom. And what he's saying here is that God chose and preferred one over another. It's kind of like when Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate your mother and father. He's not saying you go up to him and go, I, you're disgusting to me. I want nothing to do with you because I love Jesus. Like he isn't saying that, right? That would be silly. What he's saying is prefer me over everything else. When you do that, you can be my disciple. And what he's saying here is, Jacob, I preferred. Esau and the nation of Edom, I did not prefer as much. Historically, Edom was very blessed. Esau was very blessed. They didn't choose to honor God and they were actually destroyed because of their disobedience one day. But God blessed Esau and the people of Edom because not that he was preferred as much as Jacob, but he was still loved by God. So I'm sharing all that just so it doesn't trip you up with all that, but it's important for us to understand something about this. When God chose Jacob over Esau, it wasn't because of the work that Jacob did. It wasn't because of the ability that Jacob had, right? What does it say in the passage? It said he chose them in verse 11 before they had done anything good or bad in order that God's perfect purpose in election might stand. Now, this is super important for us to understand because when we look at our lives, we think traditions. Traditionally, in Old Testament culture, in the Jewish culture that we saw even before that, the firstborn received the birthright. The firstborn received the blessing. The firstborn was the one that everybody looked up to. And yet, when you historically look at what God did over and over and over again, even back into the beginning with Cain and Abel, which one actually served God more? Abel did. Which one died? Cain killed Abel. When you look at Abraham having two sons, there was Isaac and there was Ishmael. Ishmael came first from another woman. Isaac was second. God chose Isaac over Ishmael. When you look at Jacob, who became Israel, he had 12 different sons. There were three sons before Judah, Reuben, Simeon, Le- Levi. All of those could have qualified to have the blessing of God before Judah, but they all disqualified themselves. Judah was the one to put his life on the line, and he is the one that the Messiah came through in the line of, the light of Christ. Isn't that cool? Number four, not number one, two or three. And the list continues to go on, that God does not respect the traditions of man. God chooses what God chooses. He chooses what he chooses. And we can sit here this morning and we can say, man, that's really hard to hear sometimes. It's really hard for us to get our hands around that. But the benefit of that is that your works do not qualify you to be acceptable to God. My works don't qualify me. God chooses us before we can do anything for him or against him. All of the world testifies of his goodness and he extends an invitation of love to each one of us. And for those who respond, we can become his. First uh, John chapter 1, 10 through 13, John writes this. He was in the world, talking of Jesus, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God born not of blood, nor of the desire or will of man, but born of God. Can I tell you what I'm trying to get to here this morning is that our faith in God's mercy makes us acceptable to God. Our faith in God's mercy makes us acceptable to God. This is so important. It's not what you're going to do. And when we think about choices, think about how we work as people. When I have big choices to make in my life, many times I'll look at I'll draw a line down a piece of paper. Some of you know where I'm going with this. And what do you do when you're making a decision in life, a choice? You list what? The what? Pros and the what? Cons. The pros and the cons. And you look at it and say, what's better? What's not? Should I do this? Should I do that? Which one matters more? And we evaluate and we make decisions based on which one makes more sense to us. Based on which one produces more in our favor. We do that a lot. People choose friends, they choose jobs, they choose life decisions, they make life decisions based on the pros and the cons, the benefits and the drawbacks. But God, if he put a list together and said pros and cons, why should I choose you? Everything would be a con. Think about that. Everything he would put down would be a con. Oh, they're, gonna not, they're, they're sinful people. They're stiff-necked people. They're not going to listen. They, they think that they know more than me most of the time. Um, they're dead in their sins. I mean, they've already rejected me. They're going to kill my son. Like, no, 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 no. One pro. You know what the pro is? Because he loves us. Has nothing to do with who we are and what we've done. And it has everything to do with God's sovereign choice. There's a passage in Genesis chapter 15, and we won't go there this morning, but I think it's a beautiful promise where God told Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to become a nation. I'm going to make you Abraham in faith. Walk with me. You're going to be the father of a huge nation named Israel. And then he creates a covenant between God and Abraham. And an animal is cut in half, and there's a smoking pot, and there's a blazing torch. And the scripture says that they walk between these two. Not Abraham and God, God alone goes through twice. And why is that? Because the covenant that was made in the Old Testament at that time, the contract, was that each part of the party would walk through that broken animal, that cut animal, one with a torch and one with a pot, and it was their Old Testament way of making a contract between each other. So that as they walk through those broken pieces, as if they were saying to each other, if we break this covenant, may the one who breaks it be like those dead animals that are on either side of us. And Abraham didn't go through it with God. Abraham watched God go through it twice. Because he made a covenant, a promise for him on himself. And I can say, I hope, I, so help me God, when I put my hand on a Bible in a courtroom. But God says, so help me me. And that is a great promise. And I love the fact that we can trust in that promise. Now, you might hear some of these things and say, wait a minute, I mean, is this really fair? I mean, Is God really fair in all this? Look at verse 14. He says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Is God unjust? Is he choosing some and he's not choosing others? And Paul says, not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. We always, when I read that many times, I see it through the lens of God's going to choose who he's going to love. But if he wants to curse other people, he's going to do that. I think it's the exact opposite. That he doesn't look at people and say, who can I get rid of? He says, who can I save? Because all of us are unworthy. He says, you want me to have mercy on the good people. Remember like Jonah? Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach the gospel. And then when they repent, Jonah gets mad. He's like, how dare you save them? They don't deserve it. And God says, I will have mercy on who I have mercy. I'll have compassion on who I have compassion. It's the heart of God giving an opportunity for man to come to him. Verse 16 good summary here. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort. You hear that? It does not depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Again, you might look at that and say, like, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. If you look historically in the book of Exodus, it speaks to the heart of God. There are 10 times that Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and there are 10 times that God Pharaoh hardens Pharaoh's heart. But when God far- hardens Pharaoh's heart, it is an affirmation of what Pharaoh already did himself. He's not making Pharaoh disobey him. He's simply letting him do what he already chose to do, and he's making the resolve even stronger. And it's important for us to understand that. It's important for us to understand that it's not what we do. God offers the choice to each one of us. It's how we respond to it. You might be here this morning trying to figure out what all this means to you. And as we get ready to close, um, I I just want to give you two things for you to think about briefly. As we get ready to close this morning, because of God's unconditional choice, please hear me on this. You can trust his promises. You can trust his promises. You know why I say that? I say it, most importantly, I say you can trust his promises because if we think about what this passage is telling us, every decision that God chooses to make has nothing to do with our heritage, has nothing to do with our family tree or our bloodline. Whatever God chooses to do, he is God and I am not. And God's unconditional choice has nothing to do with my works, but it has everything to do with a promise because he chooses us because he wanted to choose us. That might be a little difficult to get your head around today and your head might be spinning a little bit, but can we just take a moment and just settle our hearts today and just reflect on that truth? God's unconditional choice His unconditional choice has nothing to do with our privileges. What does that mean for us today? It means it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter where you were. It doesn't matter the struggles you've gone through. It doesn't matter any of those things. He doesn't look at you and is more impressed with your history or look at you and is less impressed with your history. He chooses you because he's God. We can rest in that knowing he chooses us. And then the second part of that, that he, he chooses us, his unconditional choice is not dependent. It's not dependent on our works, but it's fully dependent on his promises. If you're here this morning, you know how many times over the years I've heard people talk about Christianity and Jesus and they say things like this. They say, you don't know what my life has looked like. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the world that I came out of, the words that I've said, the people I've hurt. You don't know the abuse that I've caused other people and I could never imagine a God that would love me after he considers all of those things. How could he choose me? And you know what my response is to that? He already did. He already chose you. He doesn't look at all the things that we can do for him or against him. He already chose you. are afraid of God in this world sometimes because they watch Christians telling them what the truth is but they don't come to them with the kind of heart that Paul came to these people with with his hands open saying, if I could give my own fate for you I would what would it look like as followers of Jesus if our hands were open, if our hearts were broken for people who didn't know Christ if our hearts were broken enough to say, I would sooner sacrifice my own eternity for the sake of all of those around us because my heart beats so much for those people that God's heart beats for. Think about that this morning. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, let me remind you in all honesty and with complete genuineness, God chose you. He chose you. Your works cannot make you more approved. But can I tell you, if you're here this morning and you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, don't ask yourself the question, well, is God choosing me? How do I know God's choosing me? If you're here this morning and you choose to follow Christ, you walk through that door, and what you will see on the other side is God already chose you. That's the truth. We have to receive what he offers to us. And he's made it available to all of us because of the cross, because of the work of Christ on the cross. We can sing this song. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I was a prisoner, and now I'm not. With your blood, you saved me. By your stripes, I'm healed. By your wounds, I'm healed. What are we saying? By everything that God has done, we are redeemed. By everything God has already done, we can be in his response. Now, that doesn't absolve us from living for him. We'll talk about that next week. But this morning, can you just rest in the fact that you have been chosen? And if you don't know Jesus this morning, as we sing this song, consider making a decision to follow Christ. And after this song, I'm gonna walk you through how that can happen. Would you bow your heads? Father, we just pray this morning, as we worship you today, that your power and your Holy Spirit would speak clearly to each one of us and we would walk closer to you, the God of unconditional choice. In Jesus' name we pray.